Welcome to another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbron, lead pastor of One Community Church located in El Dorado, Arkansas. For information about the ministry of Pastor Jason or One Community Church, please visit our website at occeldorado.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching One Community Church El Dorado. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Well, you wanted the best this Sunday morning, and uh, he couldn't make it. So here's what you get, Dustin Martin. I'm just kidding. God, man, I am so excited. Somebody say, happen in place. Happen in place. Man, God is good. There's so much going on here. And uh, I, could, I was just telling Pastor Jason down there on the front row during worship, it's just like, man, there's such a, a spirit of expectation. I like that we talked about it being a place of miracles. Come on, man. God is moving right here in South Arkansas. Amen. God's doing great things. And uh, if someone hasn't told you this morning, um, I'm glad that you're here. It's good to see you. Amen. You could be anywhere right now. You could be checking your eyelids for holes. You could be pulling this. Everybody's like, what? Uh, you could be anywhere, but you're here. You came darken the doors of the church. And so I'm glad that you're here this morning. I know that God's got a good word for you and uh, you'll leave here better off than, than you came in. Amen. Hallelujah. Because God's watches over his word to perform it in your lives. Amen. Before we get started, I want to thank Pastor Jason and Alicia always for inviting us and enabling us to come and to partner uh, with you guys to encourage you to in, in, uh, impart the word to you. And I don't take that lightly. It's a great honor. Uh, but not only as a minister am I here, I stand as a, a friend. And Pastor Jason, man, he has been uh, a true, true friend to me. And I, I think it's cool that God continues to build that relationship. It hasn't just been for a season. I can tell that it's growing. And so I am thankful for your pastor. Can we just thank God right now for your pastor? Amen. Hallelujah. I am thankful. I had this thought during the two-minute uh, meet and greet. Uh, where are my introverts at? <laughs> That's like the, probably the longest two minutes of your life right there, right? You're like, go around, shake somebody's hand. You're just like, oh, my gosh. You know, all of us extrovert people are like, yeah, can we get 10? You know, you're just, you're just excited to go hang out with somebody, and then we got to tell you to sit down and button it up. Praise God, praise God. Well, <clears throat> we've got a lot to, to cover this morning, as we uh, dive into the Word of God, uh, as been mentioned, we're going to discuss and we're going to talk about the authority that you have as a born-again believer, the authority that you've been given as a believer uh, uh, that God has given to you for the time and season that we're in. As a traveling minister, one of the things that I believe that God has encouraged me to encourage the church in is to get into position, to get in to position. And uh, just recently, I was in Hollister, Missouri preaching, and the title of my message there was Finish the Job, Finish the Job. And when I was growing up, my dad was a children's pastor, and so Saturday mornings was all about us going to church. We were setting up for children's church for Sunday morning. We got our uh, object lessons ready. We ran through our skits. We did puppets. We did the whole nine. After, and then we cleaned the church a lot of the times. We were just a one-stop shop, get-her-done kind of family. And so after doing children's church ministry, we would then go back to the house, and we would clean our house. And part of my brother and I's responsibility, my older brother Dylan and I, we were to clean our bedrooms, obviously, clean our bathroom. 
And uh, my brother, he's a little bit different than me. He came out with a hard hat and working gloves on. He just, I don't know how, he just knew how to work. He could get it done. Uh, me, on the other hand, my nickname was Play King. You know, you know what I'm saying? I just, nobody had to teach me how to play. Dustin could get the playing done. And so anyways, a lot of times when we were cleaning the room, it was easier for my brother. He'd say, Dustin, go sit in the corner, you know? And I'd play with my G.I. Joes because he could get the room cleaned without my help. You know what I'm talking about? My dad made sure, though, that I had a work ethic by the time I left the house. Somebody say, rod of correction. Amen. So anyways, no laziness in this house. But I remember as, uh, as I was growing up, we, my dad would come in to in- inspect our work, especially in the bathroom. And my dad would say things to me like, Dustin, people, when they throw Q-tips and things away in the trash, they miss. You have to pull the trash can out from behind the, the toilet there and get the trash that's been missed. You got to lift the lid. Come on, janitorial. You got to wipe the, the mysteries that are underneath that lid. And you got to finish the job. That was a statement I heard my whole life growing up. Dustin, finish the job. And then as I've grown, uh, as I've grown and gotten older, sometimes that, that the voice of my father, come on, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Things that your parents, things that your, your dad spoke to you echoes in your mind. And for me, it's finish the job, get the job done. And I believe if there is a word that God is speaking to his church right now in the time and the season that we're living in, it's get the job done. What I love about God, though, he's never asked you to do something without empowering you to accomplish the job. God will never ask you to do anything, no matter what the call is on your life, no matter the occupation, there is a grace, there is an empowerment, there is an ability that God anoints you with that he bestows upon you for the sole purpose of accomplishing the purpose, accomplishing the destiny that he's placed upon your life. Your job and my job is to identify that anointing, to identify that that empowerment and begin to walk in it, begin to practice it because practice makes perfect. How many of y'all agree with that? I know it takes a lot, but sometimes the more that you do something, the more that you become acquainted with, the more that you recognize, the more that you become skilled at the thing that you practice. And so as we dive into this series, my, my focus, my job this morning, if I can say it that way, is to get us to understand the authority that you possess as a born-again believer. I would go ahead and encourage you to go ahead and make plans next week to be here because I want to take it a step further and show you the execution of that authority. How do I now take what I possess, what has been rightfully given to me, and put it into action? So you're not going to want to miss next week because if you only get this week, then you'll walk around with knowledge but no application. Amen. Praise God. And before we get into our text this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. That's where we're going to begin. Luke chapter 9. But as you're turning there, I want to Begin by making this statement. Religion despises and ignores delegated authority. Placing God, listen to this, placing God at a distance, micromanaging and controlling mankind as though we were nothing more than marionette puppets. Religion wants you to think that God is distant, that God is some foreign being, that he's there. I love what Pastor 
Jason has already quoted out of Hebrews. It says, they that come to God must believe that he is. The first step of a believer, a first step of a Christian is believing that there is a God and that he loves you and that he has positioned you in a place to rule and to reign in this life. He's not distant. He's not uh, unknown, uh, this foreign being that somewhere lives out in the cosmos that somehow is controlling your life. One time God told me, he said, Dustin, I'm going to use you to break the mindset of religion in the hearts of men. And with curiosity, I said, God, what is religion? He said, religion is wanting results without intimacy. Wanting results without intimacy. And we'll get into this either a little bit this week and next week for sure, that your authority lies within the knowledge of who your God is. That your intimate working knowledge of who your God is, that he's not distant, but very present. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will not leave you without supply or adequate support and provision. I'll never leave you. That God is there for you. He's there to support you. He's there wrapping his arms, not in a, in a uh, objective, interrogating manner, but rather as one that loves you unconditionally. He's not micromanaging. He's not controlling us from a distance. May I boldly declare this morning that we are so much more Two books that I want you to get, if you can, and I, I believe they have the pictures for me. This is great. These are the two books that I read in preparing for these messages. Um, actually, uh, I've read these books, and I've taught a six-week and two five-week classes, more of a Bible, kind of a step-by-step -step study for Bible schools on the authority of the believer and these are the books that we use. Uh, the first one there with the sword is by uh, Kenneth E. Hagan. Kenneth E. Hagan started the school there in uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma called Rama Bible Training Center. Now it's called Rama Bible College. They've turned it into more of a, a college. And uh, that's where I graduated from back when it was just a two year. So I got an associate's in theology, the study of God. But The Believer's Authority, I would encourage you to read these books. And then you have the book by John A. McMillan, The Authority of the Believer. Both of these books, uh, the, the, the one by Brother John A. McMillan is actually a book that was written before The Believer's Authority. And I believe that uh, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan actually references that book in his book. But I would encourage you to read these books. It'll take what I'm saying and take it a step further. They're small books. They're like, I think less than 100 pages or roughly around there that you can digest very quickly. But it'll begin to help you to wrap your mind around what we're speaking about and get you to begin to walk in the word. How many of you know that James says that we can't just be a forgetful hearer, but we have to be a what? A doer, come on somebody, a doer of the word of God. So in that book by John McMillan, he wrote this, men are slow to believe that the almighty really means exactly what he says. They think it is un, that is an, an incredible thing 
that he should share with human hands, I love this, the throttle to infinite power. Ooh, come on, somebody. I like that. When I hear the word throttle, I don't know if we have any motorcycle riders in here, but I love riding motorcycles. And all you Harley riders, God bless you as you're cruising down the road, but I'm one of the sports bike guys, right? I'm on one wheel most of the time. I just, you know, can we go 150? Come on, somebody. I love it. I mean, drop a gear and disappear. You know, that's, that was my... Let's get it done, man. Let's just, I mean, how fast can you go? I've heard this. If you're going 150 miles an hour, you're doing a football field a second. Woo, amen, that's what I'm talking about. It's kind of what it'll be like when we get raptured and Jesus says, come up. You'll be like, you'll just be like, you'll be gone. It'll be the same old song. Here we go. But I love the idea that God has placed the throttle of infinite power in the hands of man. If we go through scripture, we understand that God does not work alone. That God has always partnered with man. That God, anything that he does on earth, he does in and through man. He wants to partner with us. He wants communion with us. Back to what I originally said. It's about intimacy. God is not a God that wants to control you. You're not a robot. You have a will that you made a decision by the choice of your will to be in this house this morning. By a choice of your will, you heard the gospel and you said, I believe that. And you confess with your mouth. You believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Bible says that when you made that decision, that you became a new creature in Christ. All things have passed away. Behold, all things... All things, nothing excluded, all things have become brand new. So you're in partnership with God. I think part of the authority of the believer is you realizing that you actually are in partnership with God. That you are working with him in the earth. And I'm going to show you some of those things here today. Starting in our text in Luke chapter 9, I want to start in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. And the New King James, listen to this verse. I love this. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them. He gave them power and authority over all demons. Don't let the word demons scare you. Instantly, it's like in our mind, we get some kind, you know, depending on what movie you just watched or what story, it's like all of a sudden you get, think of demons as simply darkness, everything that opposes the light that's in you. And we're gonna look into that probably next week about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers of, and, and demonic realms. And the, there is a, an opposing force to the kingdom of God. And he said, I've given you all authority, authority over all demons and to cure, I wrote in my, in my notes here, not treat. God hasn't called us to treat things. He's called us to cure things and to cure disease. Verse two, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Notice that you're a part of a kingdom not a democracy, not even a republic. You're a part of a kingdom. You have a king, and we are uh, not just the subjects of the king, but sons and daughters of the king. And we live in a kingdom. 
And because of this, there is a kingdom mentality. In other words, it's simply this. The word of the king is law. What he says goes. What he wishes comes to pass. And he's asked you and I to partner with him to establish that kingdom. To bring law, to bring order into the realm in which we live. That the kingdom of God is within you. It's every foot, every place the sole of your foot treads becomes the ground and the property of the kingdom of God. In other words, where you live, where you reside, the places of your influence should leave a residue of the kingdom of God. Where no darkness is allowed to have its place or its dominion. When we flip the switch, there is no argument between light and darkness. Darkness is expelled. And you, my friends, are the light of the world. And when you walk out into this this world, when you walk out into the, the realms of this community, there ought to be a dominion mentality about you. That where I go... Where I set my foot, just like the children of Israel, when they went into the promised land, God says, everywhere your foot treads, I've given to you. It's yours. All you have to do is possess it. Come on, somebody say, possess it. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus came to speak to them, saying, speaking to his disciples, this is after he was resurrected saying all authority, everybody say all. I love that word all. It's the biggest word in the Bible, although it's only three letters. All means all. Come on, somebody. And if Jesus has all authority, that means there's somebody with zero authority. Somebody's lacking the ability to have dominion. But Jesus said, I've come, and he spoke to them saying all authority or delegated Power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I love that. Luke 10, 19. Behold, or look, see something you have not seen before. I give you the authority, the delegated power to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. This is it right here. And nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. What I want you to see this morning is simply this, is that you're not called just to go out and defeat demons. You're not called to go out and defeat the enemy. Jesus has already done that for you. If you're taking notes this morning, you know I like to say this. Come on, statistically speaking, People that take notes are more likely not to go to hell. Amen. Hallelujah. You can write now or burn later. It's up to, no, I'm just kidding, Pastor. And you know I'm kidding. There's only one way to heaven. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down that nothing shall by any means hurt you. Look at John 16, 33 in the Amplified Bible. It talks about Jesus said that in the world you'll have tribulation and trouble. He says, but I've deprived it of its ability to harm you. In other words, as a child of God, as you walk in this earth, I'm not trying to give victory. I'm walking from a position and a placement of victory. I already possess it. What does that mean? Now I am an enforcer of the kingdom of God. 
I'm not trying to take ground. Ground's already been given to me. I'm only enforcing that which Jesus already accomplished 2,000 years ago. Man, it makes it so easy because now the weight or the responsibility, if you will, is off of me trying to accomplish something. I'm not trying to accomplish. I'm simply enforcing the reality of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus prayed, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Psalms 91 and verse 13 gives us that understanding that you've been given the right as protection. We know Psalms 91 is a scripture of protection that we tread and we trample down opposition. That the enemy is where? He's under our feet. Every time you think of the enemy, listen to me, the devil, Satan, however you want to address him. I remember when we were in children's church, we always call him Mr. Devil. I was like, why are we giving this guy any kind of, I guess we're trying to teach respect, but you don't respect the enemy. Come on, somebody. That's one guy you give him no respect. He's under your feet. He is a defeated foe. And the more that you renew your mind to that reality, the more that it strips the, the fear and the, the uh, terror that he tries to bring, that he actually has the ability to harm you. The Bible says that the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The word may is a word of permission. Come on, you don't give him permission, he has no right in your life. Come on, somebody. He doesn't have any ability or power, and we'll see this today, to bring any uh, hell, terror, or destruction in your life. He is a defeated foe. So with this, I want us to look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And the, my three points this morning, because every good preacher is a three-point preacher, amen. That's a little joke for me and Pastor Jay. Number one is origin. We have to look at where does the authority come from? Where is the origin of our authority? Genesis chapter one, starting in verse 26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Everybody say dominion. Let them have dominion. Dominion. If you jump down to verse 28, it says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Watch this. Fill the earth. I love that. We don't need a, a reduction of, of population. I forget how you say that, but they're trying to downsize the world right now. But God told us to fill the earth and to subdue it. To have, he says it again, to have dominion. This word dominion means to rule, to dominate, and to tread down. Your responsibility, to rule, to dominate, and tread down. The word subdue means to bring into obedience or to comply with. To bring into obedience or to comply with, which makes me think and have this thought for you today that Satan had already been kicked out of heaven before Adam and Eve were placed in the garden. Why would I say that? Why would God tell them to have dominion and to subdue something if there wasn't opposition? The devil's doing the same thing he's always doing. He's trying to get into your garden and he's trying to bring uh, doubt and disbelief to God's word. 
That's it, that's all he's trying to do. Is that really what God said? In other words, with Eve, he tried to get her to believe that God was holding out on her, that there was more and God was keeping secrets and holding out. God's not holding out anything from us. The Bible says he's freely given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's nothing that God has not opened. He is a liberal, open-handed giver. Supplied everything that you need for this life. He's given us his word. Anything that you need in this life is found right here in this book. I want to read Psalms chapter 8 and verse, starting verse 4. Psalms chapter 8 and verse 4 says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him, or the margin of my Bible says that you care for him? I love that, that God is thoughtful about you. I wrote a letter every month. I write letters to partners and friends of our ministry, and I wrote this statement that the number one indication of anointing is thoughtfulness. A lot of people think is, you know, if you're glowing in the dark or you're doing something really cool that's like, whoa, watch out, he's anointed. You know, how, you know how you can tell if somebody's anointed? If they're thoughtful. Jesus always said, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I help you? And I love that we see this out of Psalms chapter eight, that he says, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Verse five says, for you have made him a little lower than the angels or Elohim, lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Verse six, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. God's in partnership with you. From the very beginning, God created it, and then he said, it's yours. You have dominion, you subdue, you keep peace in the garden. You have put all things under his feet. The reason God gave this command to have dominion, to subdue, to rule, and to dominate was because there was a threat to the garden. There was opposition to paradise. God knowing that there was opposition, God knowing that there was a threat to the peace, told Adam and Eve, you have dominion, you subdue it. I believe that, and we'll see this here in a minute, that you and I are still in that place. We are still given that command that we are to enforce the kingdom of God. You have that right. I think a lot of people go through life with a mentality that they just live by happenstance, that things just happen. Well, I woke up this morning and the, this was broke and well, this is going on and this hell's happening over here and we're just kind of going through life like bumper cars. We're bumping from this situation to that situation, from this situation and we just kind of hope that at the end of the week, I hope we're still together. Oh, I just hope we just make it. Come on, man, just wish upon a star. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Hope, you know, we're just, we're just hoping, wishing we're gonna make it. We live by a happenstance mentality, and I would challenge you today 
That if you'll read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus did not walk through life with a happenstance mentality, but rather a dominion mentality. That everywhere he went, there was nothing that shocked him, nothing that caused him to stutter or to step back, but rather knowing his position, knowing what his rights and privileges were, he brought order to chaos. It does not matter. The, the Bible says uh, in Proverbs, I believe it's in chapter 25, that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. In other words, that no matter the adversity, the crisis, or the pressure, there ought to be something that is re- uh, resident on the inside of you that is aware that you have knowledge of that is greater than the opposition that is outside facing you. That I'm not intimidated by sickness and disease. I'm not intimidated by poverty and lack. I'm not intimidated by uh, uh, relationship uh, traumas and issues. Why? Because there's one that's inside that resides that is greater than anything that I may face. And that I'm not trying to get victory. That's what I want you to see this morning. I have victory because of the one Jesus who lives in me. It was not, nor is it about obtaining control or victory, but about reigning in authority and triumph. Listen to these two scriptures. I want to quote them. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. He gives you the victory. Church, I want you to hear it this morning. God has given you the victory. Whatever it is that you're facing right now, whatever it is that you may be uh, trying to resist, it seems like it's trying to overtake you. You have to renew your mind. I'm not trying to get over this thing. God has already placed me over this thing and that I have the victory. Second Corinthians chapter 2, 14 says, now, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. I'm victorious and I am triumphant. Oh, brother, you just haven't been through a battle. If you want to connect after church, we can swap stories and see how everybody's doing. But at the end of the day, your choice, your decision about how this turns out, how this is turned around will not be by the voice of the enemy, but it will be by the word of God that says you are victorious. You are triumphant. You're the head and not the tail. You're above above only and not beneath. That I've given you all power, all authority to trample down every lying devil that would try to stop you from fulfilling your destiny and walking in your purpose. Come on, I think I will. Glory to God. I'm not yelling at you. Y'all know that. I'm just yelling with you. I'm like your spiritual cheerleader. Come on, somebody. Raw, raw, re. Kick him in the knee. Number two. Number one is your, the origin. We see that God gave man from the very beginning dominion, power, authority. Number two is your position. Once fallen, but now seated. Once fallen, the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Religion wants to keep you there. 
You're still, you're still just a flawed sinner. If I'm a flawed sinner, then there is no capacity for authority. There is no ability for power. Why? Because as a flawed individual, I don't have the ability or the nature to stand in that office. But I'm not a flawed sinner any longer. Come on, somebody. The greater one lives on the inside of me. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I already quoted. He that is in Christ. Where is your position? It's in Christ. It's in him. Not in and of yourself. Even Jesus said, in and of myself, I can do nothing. I'm not trying to accomplish anything in the name of dust. And that's what I loved about worship this morning. We magnified the name of Jesus. We exalted the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We didn't whine and complain. Oh, Lord, we're just a beggar going through the heat and the cold. No, we exalted the name of Jesus. Why? Because at that name, come on, somebody, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Acts chapter 3, Paul and Silas went to the, the, the at the hour of prayer, the gate called beautiful. There was a main lame that was sitting there asking of alms, begging for money. Peter said, look on us, and he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something. And I love what Peter says. He says, silver and gold have I none. Typical male, left his wallet at home. Come on, somebody. Hey, uh, I'll get you next. Get you next time. Can you pick up the tab? You ordered the appetizer. Come on, somebody. You left your wallet at home. Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have. Come on. What I possess, what's already mine, and not only what is mine, but what I know how to exercise and use in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up. Sorry, I'm excited. Rise up and walk. The man, the Bible says in receiving strength, he jumped up leaping and magnifying and praising God. And notice it just caused havoc in the religious realm. Who healed on the Sabbath? What in the tarnate? What is going on? Kingdom business is happening. That's why the devil fights so hard to keep their church dogged down, depressed, worried, complaining, just woe is me. Why? Because he does not want you to get a revelation of your authority and begin to actually bring dominion and rule to this world. You walk in the room and the atmosphere changes. I say it all the time, not because of who you are, but because of who you know resides on the inside of you. The greater one lives in you. And if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he'll quicken you. He'll make alive your mortal bodies. You renew your mind to this. I'm telling you what, there's, it won't, nothing can stop you. Come on, man, it's a hurdle. It's just like, you ever seen those guys that are running track and they're sprinting, they're jumping over those hurdles? All you can see in your mind is you hitting your shin or your knee and flipping over it and everybody laughing. Am I right? You're just like, wow, look at that. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I mean, they're just going. Don't act like you ain't thought that. You saw that, you're like, if that was me, 
Mine would have a puddle on the other side. And everybody would be like, ah, go Dustin. But we ought to be like that in the spirit realm. It don't matter what the devil throws up. Really? That's it? That's all you got? That's all you got? The Bible says when we see Satan, we're going to be like, this is the one that caused the nations to tremble? It'll be a laughing thing. And what my goal is, is, through the authority of the word of God, the authority that you've been given, your position in Christ, is that the devil and everything he brings against you becomes a laughing thing to you. The Bible says in uh, Psalms chapter two, he that sits in the heavens laughs. Laughs at the enemy, laughs at the, the mentality of this world that thinks it can stop or hinder the plan and the will of God. Nothing can stop the plan and the will of God. Glory to God. That's why the joy of the Lord is your strength. In Genesis chapter three, we see Adam and Eve sinned against God, which brought separation. They relinquished the origin of authority. They relinquished their position and rights as rulers of this world. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse four says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. It's a lowercase g. How did Satan become the God of this age? He stole it. He stole the authority. He stole the dominion that was given to Adam and Eve, and he, he got them to bow their knee in treason against God. And he took that authority, and he uses it against mankind. It's called oppression. The word oppression means using authority in a cruel and unusual manner. The God, Satan uses the authority that was given to man and he uses it to bring oppression against you. But I love what Jesus did. Come on, somebody, in Ephesians chapter two. Let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter two. I'm gonna read these verses to you because it's just, man, all of it just, man, so good. It's like my favorite part of the Bible. Can you tell? Here we go. <laughs> Just find another highlighter, mix it all in. It turns into another color. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And you, he made alive. I love this. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse two. In which you once walked according to the course of of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts or the pressures of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, everybody say nature, and by nature were children of wrath just as others. Verse four, but God, come on, somebody say, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. There it is again, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're not called, if I can say it this way, to pluck with the chickens. You're called to soar with the eagles. Come on, you've been raised up together with Christ. You've been seated together with him in heavenly 
places. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, the passage translation says, then Jesus made a public spectacle of all powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around his prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his prisoners. What I want you to see this morning is what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve transgressed against the word of God and relinquished their authority. When Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago, he went to hell for you and he stripped the enemy of that power and of that authority and he gave it back to his church. You now have been raised together, seated with Christ in heavenly places with all power and with all authority. The cross is a place of defeat and death. The grave is a place of victory and overcoming. Pentecost is a place of power. And the throne is the place of authority. It is our place. The right hand of the throne of God is the center of all power and all authority in the universe. And you, my friends, are seated there. You've been made to sit together with Christ in heavenly places. Oh, brother. Here goes religion. Trying to, trying to talk you in or better talk you out of, well, you don't know what I've done. Don't know where I've been. Oh, that's right. You've committed a sin that Jesus' blood can overcome. We're so sorry. Can you go sit in the corner over there? For, we don't want you to contaminate the rest of us. There is nothing that man has ever done, no, no sin in any dark place that the blood of Jesus has not cleansed, has not redeemed, and has not brought you out of. You've been made free. You've been liberated by the blood of Jesus. Not just to stand and, as my dad would say, with your teeth in your mouth and your hands in your pocket, but rather to a place of action, a place of authority, a place of power. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power, with authority, who went about doing good or enforcing righteousness, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. My friends, that is the assignment. That is the position that God has called us into, a place of authority. Last but not three, I'm going to make it quick. Number three is possession. The origin of authority given in the garden. Your position as one seated at the right hand of the Father. But last but not least, your possession. We must become fully persuaded that we are one with Christ. John chapter 17, Jesus said, Father God, that they would be one even as we are one. Jesus' prayers get answered. How many of y'all know that? He prayed for it. It was accomplished. We are one with Christ. Our authority is dependent upon it. Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23 says, and he put all things under his feet. And he gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. 
Colossians chapter two and verse 10, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power, rule and authority. The head is completely dependent upon the body for carrying out the will and the plan. You've never seen any, but where there goes John's body, where's his head? We don't know. He lost it somewhere. As goes the head, come on somebody, so goes the body. If it's in the head, it's in the body. We've been made one with him. Jesus said in Matthew 28, we read it as our text, all power, all authority has been given unto me both in heaven and in earth. If he's the head and you're the body, you have all power and you have all authority. I believe that God is asking us to, to grow up, to begin not only to hear the things that we have heard, but actually begin to believe them and place them into action. Nobody would second guess as I'm closing right here. No one would second guess if I walked in here today with a two-year-old on my hip. I meant to introduce my daughter. Looks like she already bailed out on me. Good pre. Oh, she's right there. This is my little, I, didn't, I thought you were sitting with Miss Barbie. This is my beautiful princess, Miss Brooklyn. Y'all say hi to Miss Brooklyn. Hey, Miss Brooklyn. She's gorgeous. I love her. I'm in love. Um, it would be weird, though, if I walked in here with a two-year-old. Uh, it wouldn't be weird if I walked in here with a two-year-old on my hip. Everybody would think that's normal, right? Yeah, Dustin, all right, got a little two-year-old. But a lot of us would be kind of scratching our head wondering, Dustin, what's the 15-year-old doing on your hip? You know, you're like. <laughs> and yet the body of Christ is that way. Come on, we got to grow up. We got to stop letting people carry us and stop allowing the calling pastor every time we need something. So, we, you know, sending out this prayer train, uh, a, a chain of worry and complain. Oh, we're going through it. Not that prayer of agreement's not wrong. We'll talk about that next week. But there's something that needs to rise up on the inside of you. I'm not a 15 year old on the hip anymore. I'm a grown man, I'm a grown woman that knows who my God is. Daniel eleven thirty two. the people that know their God, they shall be strong and they'll carry out, carry out great exploits, bold acts and daring deeds. I'm not riding on the coattails of anybody else. The God of the universe lives in me. He lives in you. And he's given you all power, all authority to finish the job. Right here before he comes back, before he calls his church up, he's calling for us to bring havoc to the kingdom of darkness. Doesn't matter about the economy, what the news says about the next president, who stole it, who didn't steal it, come on. Everything that everybody talks about at work. Yes, there are some things that we need to pray about. There's some things that we need to do our part as a church at the end of the day, my friends, you're in this world, but you're not of it. In other words, I'm not under the control and the sway of the opinion and the political agenda of this world. I'm standing as an observer, Psalms 1 tells us, as one that observes the reward of the wicked. I'm not in it. Greater is he that's in me. Come on, church, what I want you to see, I know I'm being repetitive and I'm done, but I want you to get this. You're not subjected to this world. I say this all the time. We can talk about COVID. You can talk about the flu. Oh, you know what's going around. Watch out. 
Yep, it's going around all right, right around me. No evil befall me, no plague come not my dwelling. Can't touch me. Well, what do I do when I get sick and I start feeling the fever and the sniffles and the cough? You stand up and you rebuke it. Take your authority. Turn that thing that's supposed to be a two-week sickness into a 24-hour bug. Can't stay here. Not today, Satan. Come on, somebody. Not today. I'm going to turn this service back over to Pastor Jason. But I, and he's going to do what we need to do here. But I want to give you guys the opportunity. This is what I had in my heart today. If you have sickness or disease in your, in your body, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to take long. I'm not going to. I, I want you to get one word. Something that's ailing you. Something that, man, it could, my back, my hands, my head. I mean, whatever. I got, you can tell me the symptom. I got headaches. I got back, whatever. I got, you know, or Aunt, Aunt Mary's got, you know, got diagnosed with this. Simple statement. And we're going to lay hands on the sick, as the Bible tells us, and they will recover. Amen. Hallelujah. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, I thank you for what was proclaimed, uh, that truth was declared. Your word says, Father God, that if we'll know the truth, the truth will set us free. I thank you for freedom in this place. I thank you for freedom in this place. I take authority over the atmosphere. I take authority over every life. The enemy is trying to bring adversity, crisis, or pressure in. And I speak peace to it right now. I speak peace to it right now. I thank you for a great calm. I thank you for solutions. I thank you, God, for answers. I thank you, God, that you are a way maker. Where people have told you there's no way, it's impossible. God's saying, I've got a way. That God will open doors that no man can open. He'll position you in a place to succeed that you're blessed and not cursed. It doesn't matter about family ties or, or, or her, uh, generational curses. I speak an end to it right now in the name of Jesus. I speak an end to alcoholism, drug addiction, perversion in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, for freedom today. I declare freedom over this house. And I boldly declare, Father God, it would be like a lighthouse set upon a hill that as people pass by, it, is, it's a, it can't be ignored. It draws people in. This house will be packed not because of a popularity of a program or a speaker or a personality, but because of the name of Jesus, because of the freedom that is had here. God, that it would spread out to the highways and the byways, just as we did this morning. As we exalt you, you'll draw all men unto you. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to join us next week for another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yarbrough and One Community Church of El Dorado.